Do you wait for everything to be perfect and lined up straight before you make a choice? How hard are you trying to get everything in your life right? What if jumping in and getting messy is one of the ways to find out what works for you? Discover how being willing to mess up can create the phenomenal life you truly desire. Get ready to quit judging and start embracing all of your messy adventures. Now, here's your host, self-declared messy living expert, Katrina Fava. Hello, good morning everyone. This is Katrina Fava. Welcome to Messy Adventures in Living on Monday morning. Happy Monday. So today, we have a very awesome guest talking all about effort and how much effort is BS. Um, his name is Dean Larson. He's a really cool guy who I've been a fan of for a very long time, and I'm very, very excited to have him on my show. Hi, Dean. Well, hi, Petrina. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> my pleasure. I've been wanting to play with you in some way on a show or a, 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 a class, and now the day is here, <laughs> and I'm excited. So I just introduce you. Um, so Dean Larson has spent 20 years counseling adolescents and adults with addictions and started his own licensed outpatient treatment center in 1978. In 1997, he co-founded Lifetime Learning Center, an accredited special function high school and tutoring center in Minnesota. He has worked with literally thousands and their parents who were confronted with school performance issues. In 2012, Dean started Conscious Education, under which he facilitates classes in education, writes, and consults. For the last year, he has spent his time tutoring a wide variety of students who have been diagnosed as having a learning disability, um, such as ADHD, autism, Asperger's syndrome, dyslexia, and mental and emotional disorders using the tools and techniques that he teaches in his classes. He meets with students locally in the Houston, Texas area, and also online with students from coast to coast and around the globe. So, learning and education have become topics that seem heavy, ponderous, and hard, and not a place to look for ease and joy for teachers, students, or parents, especially when there are diagnoses involved. The way in which problems are dealt with is effort. You have to work harder. <laughs> is it necessary for teaching and learning to be about hard work and effort rather than ease and joy? Simply put, no. Whether one-on-one whether one -on, -one or in a classroom, it is possible to have lightness in learning. This is the message that Dean Larson has been bringing for parents, teachers, and students all over the globe. Not only does learning become lighter, but the student becomes amazingly more successful. And the most wonderful part of this idea is that it is easy to learn. Cool. I love that, Dean. Well, thank you. So, tell us a little bit about effort. Oh, I would <laughs> love to tell you about effort. Tell me all about effort. Um. You mentioned the context in which we're talking about <clears throat> about effort, and that's in learning and teaching and school. And just for a, just for a start, 
I'd like to throw out what the way that I view learning, and that is learning is uncovering pretty known. Um, mm -hmm. When I take a student in and work with them, my assumption is, if I had an assumption, I guess, my assumption is that what they need to know is already in place, and my job is to help them get rid of whatever is covering it up. Now, typically, when there's a student who's struggling in a subject, say math, uh, it'll eventually get to a place where somebody's saying, you're just not putting forth enough effort. The, the child says, I don't get this. Try harder. I don't get this. Try harder and try harder and try harder until I talk to the kid and the kid is so hopeless that he just doesn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So effort, effort from a physics standpoint is worth looking at. Um, if you remember from ninth grade physics or whatever year you took uh, physical science, you went through a series on uh, levers and mechanical advantage that levers bring about. Oh, yes. That lever had two ends and a fulcrum. One end was referred to as the resistance end. The other end <laughs> was known as the effort end or effort arm. Cool. And the hope is to get enough mechanical advantage that I can force the resistance end into changing its position. So what I've, what I've come to understand about that is effort always carries with it the seeds of its own resistance. Mm -hmm. When I apply effort to something, it always resists me. And so I have to apply more effort until I can overcome it. Wow. That's pretty cool. So effort is almost always against some kind of like meeting resistance or against some kind of resistance or even building resistance. Yeah, you can you can ask the question why would you use effort if the mere fact of using effort is um you know that you're being resisted. Yeah. So I wonder where so I wonder where this where did this all start like where did this whole thing begin that learning is about effort you know um when did we start to buy this this lie of effort is what's required to learn if based on what you just said effort and resistance are kind of going hand in hand it almost feels like this this sort circle of you know like resistance effort resistance effort resistance effort <laughs> So I wonder where did that all, you know, where did that all start? You can read um, the Greek scholars. You can read Aristotle, Socrates, and mm -hmm. the rest of the troops back then. And what you will find is that learning is a virtue but requires intense work. Not anybody can do this. Just really <laughs> those who are dedicated to learning. And of course, wow. that isn't true. Babies learn before yes. they're born. Okay, so that's had a long time 
to build up and calcify and become real for people that uh, learning learning is difficult and learning requires focus and hard work. Mm-hmm. And it truly doesn't. We can all talk about that at, at some point. But it, we live in kind of a polar universe. And whether I'm talking physically or if I'm talking energetically, um, the same thing happens. When I when I blast a bunch of energy at a kid trying to get him to do something, what's his first reaction mm-hmm. is to retreat. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah, and I and I love I love your um, when you talked about um, learning is uncovering what is n- known, what is already known. Right, that's what you said in the beginning. And it's really interesting because I think in general this reality is point of view is not that it's actually learning learning is about discovering what you don't know or you know getting information about what you don't know so learning is based on the assumption that you're you don't have information already and that someone is giving you this information yeah you hit it on the head learning in in this world has to do with opening the top of somebody's head and dumping in data <laughs> Pouring in information, pouring in information. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you it, if you are somebody who can't receive that data, you right. are identified immediately as an outcast and right. diagnosed in some way. Right, or just stupid. It's like, well, you're not one of the smart kids. You're just dumb. Yeah. Because you can't you can't receive that information, or you can't learn. Um, even just the whole idea of, you know, recently, not really recently, but in, in in the last several years, just the idea of a learning disability. What is that? If, if, if we look at how you talk about learning, uncovering what is known, then is there even such a thing as a learning disability then? Right. Because if, you, yeah, if learning I, is about uncovering what you already know, then what the heck is a learning disability? Except how we've defined learning is pouring in of information and then you can't process it. So now you are told that you have a learning disability. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and um, when, when I'm working with a student, I go to a place with every student every time that I eliminate all of my assumptions and all of my biases and all of my judgments about learning disabilities and kids and schools and subject matter and being in front of me as a kid, not a bunch of assumptions. Right. When yes. that happens, Which, kids learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're you're not looking at the the judgments and the assumptions that have been already placed on this kid that are heavy like, and burdensome and not really option <laughs> optimal for for uncovering what they already know. Exactly, exactly, and it gets so heavy. Um, I will. I'll just tell a brief story mm-hmm. that uh, I I once tutored a little second grader uh, who was almost phobic about math. For a few months, we got the math down, and she was feeling real good. She's being homeschooled because she was so traumatic for her. And the next year, she went to school, and they gave her a timed test. 
and she almost went into the fetal position, ended up going to a psychiatrist and taking anti-anxiety uh, medication wow. for something that wasn't even hers. Right. <laughs> All you had to do was wow. not test her. All you had to do was not turn on the <laughs> clock. Test her. She likes tests. Just turn right. off the clock. Can't do that. Wow. That's Incredible. Yeah, I mean, what so a box. She was, she was diagnosed and uh, all kinds of things. I mean, she had a list about a yard long. Um, I'm happy to report that today she's happy and cooking and doing just fine. So this this isn't a tragedy, but it was for a while. Yeah. Sure, because you're just you're just um, loaded with judgments and labels and and projections about how you can't learn. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know this well, like kids adore the adults in their lives, right? And so it's easy for them to buy everything that an adult says is ultimate, as ultimate truth. And so they easily start to buy all of the points of view and projections that are placed on them. Not um, only the things that adults, mm-hmm. but the, uh, the tacit messages that gets passed the the body language the yeah. reactions that I'll walk away from the kid mid mid sentence because he's not worth my time or all right. kinds of things those kids pick it up oh totally they're so so easily in tune with um, all the energy that's floating around them um, we have some chat in the chat room that I'd like to read it's really great um, so Riola is just talking about how her daughter has um auditory processing disorder and some sensory integration issues she didn't do well in school oh sorry she did really well in school until junior and the teacher started yelling telling her to work harder and if she would just work harder she wouldn't have any issues they didn't want to accommodate her learning style um, it was easier to talk at her than to work with her um, and then Christine is just saying it's interesting how teachers can do this, um, unwilling unwilling to work with what the child requires. Um, do you have an, anything around that that you want to add? Yeah, I have a, a couple of comments like that. I, I will, on the left hand, kind of come to the defense of teachers because she's probably got 100 students during the day if she's in high school or junior high school. Yeah. And uh, it's being torn. Okay, so we got that piece done. The other piece is who told the teacher that this is the way? Right. Uh, how do I know that the teacher isn't carrying out exactly what she was taught in college? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Now, on the other side of that, of course, is is the effort thing that we were talking about. Um and it, you know, it may well be an idea to have the the parent in the chat room uh, go and talk to the teacher individually, and even before the talk happens, even before that happens, sit down and put together. Um, this is where we are. This is what happens when you force her. She she goes within herself and she won't learn at Mm -hmm. all and it's not a choice on her part she just doesn't and then take that to the teacher and see if there's something that can be done with with that okay 
Cool. Great. That's an awesome suggestion. We're going to go to break, and then actually I'd like to pick up exactly where um, where we left off. So you are listening to Messy Adventures in Living. We are going to take a quick break and, uh, on a FM, and we will return with our guest, Dean Larson. Stay tuned. Do you wait until all the traffic lights are green before you get in your car? Of course you don't. Are you waiting until you have everything perfect to begin living? Most of us have learned not to take any steps until we have all the information to make the right choice. What if the opposite is true? What if it's choice that creates awareness? Are you willing to make lots of messy choices so you can begin to see the possibilities that you didn't even think existed? Listen for Messy Adventures in Living radio show with self-declared messy living expert Katrina Fava every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 Central, 7 Mountain, and 6 Pacific on A2Zen.fm. How much more expansive would your life be if you were willing to get messy with your choices? What would you say if I told you that you could change your life in only one hour and all while lying down relaxing? Thousands of people all over the world have. What am I talking about? It's called Access Consciousness The Bars. The Bars is an energetic body process that contains 32 different points on your head that when run assist you in releasing decisions about any area of your life that you have made solid and as a result cannot change. The Bars is the first class in Access Consciousness a dynamic set of tools and information designed to transform any area of your life. When you have a bar session, the worst that can happen is you feel like you had a fantastic massage. The best thing that can happen is your whole life could change. Go to accessconsciousness.com today to find a facilitator to schedule a private session or to find a bars class in your area. Are you willing to give yourself an hour to change your life? You're listening to Messy Adventures in Living with Petrina Fava. To participate in today's show, please call in the U.S. 815-880-8255, in Canada 613-800-8736, in the U.K. 033-0001-0625, or you can Skype us at a2zen.fm. You can also ask questions or comment by email by sending to Petrina at PetrinaFava.com. Now, here's Petrina with more Messy Adventures. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. You're listening to Messy Adventures in Living on AdaZen.fm with myself, Petrina Fava, and my wonderful guest, Mr. Dean Larson. Right before the break, we were talking about... Um, uh, teachers and um, and students who are mm, diagnosed with some auditory processing disorders and um, integration issues, and someone was just asking and commenting about how sometimes it's uh, difficult to get teachers to um, work with what the child requires. Actually, when, when um, Jean, just when we were talking about that, I actually got a sense of uh, the effort that's, like, the effort that's required on the parent's part to... Now listen to what you just said. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. What did I just say? Tell me. <laughs> okay. So the effort, the yeah. assumption when dealing with a, with a situation like this or a problem and uh, having to deal with the school, yeah. our assumptions about the effort are – how many adults do you know that – Every time they go to the school, they feel like they're exactly. walking to the principal's office. Exactly. That's exactly what I was, that's exactly what was happening. I was like, wow, look at that. The energy of effort, even on the parents' part, like that was what's coming up for me. It's like, oh my God, I have to go into the school and I have to talk to the teacher and tell her that my kid doesn't receive information. Like that was just so heavy and contractive. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, okay. And so what, what if we could change that? Yeah, what if we could change that? How could we change that? Yeah, it, it, the process is is simple and it's quick. The, in, at the top of the heap is when you start going to school um, to talk to your teacher, and if you get angry or you get a bellyache, um, bellyache is my term for that feeling in the pit of your stomach when you're going to do yeah. something really awful. Right. Um once you recognize that that's there, you assume it's a judgment or an assumption or something like that, and clear it away from yourself. I, if if you have had some experience with access consciousness, use a clearing mm -hmm. statement. Otherwise, whatever you would use, I know with kids, I'll sometimes just say, "Okay, bring that up until you can feel it." Snap your hard, and when it's when they snap, it'll go, and it works really yeah. well for kids. Might work for parents. Anything right. I love that actually. Yeah, and I, I when I started when I did some telecalls with you a few years ago, I saw that um you had a great way of um using the access tools and changing up the language a little bit so that it was easy for kids. So um for those of you who are not familiar with access, it's a body of work that looks at um being in the question and um, there's this thing called the clearing statement, which you can find information about on um, theclearingstatement.com. But basically, it's like what you just said. You bring up the energy of something, and then when it kind of, you know, it gets to its peak, and then you can say the clearing statement, which is right, wrong, good, bad, pot, puck, all nine shorts, boys and beyonds. But with a kid, if you can, what you just said, like bring it up to its peak and then just snap your fingers and, and, and destroy it, or um, I can't remember the word you used, but something like that that would work for a kid. I love that. I actually told a, a kid on the weekend at work um, to actually write something on paper and like close his eyes, write it on paper, and then throw it into a fire. So like yeah. what? Yeah. So like you know, how can you um, show a kid in in a way that works for them how to destroy some kind of judgment or belly ache or you know to get rid of it. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's useful for me that I've got carpets and brass doorknobs. And when you walk by and touch the doorknob, you get a shock. Yeah. What's happening is all of the charge that's built up on that doorknob jumps right. off on your And it's grounded. It goes through you to the ground. Yeah. Well, that's the story right there. Right. That's great. Just that's a great that analogy. Point. I like that one. I like it. <laughs> okay, so um, mom going yeah. to talk to parent. Yes, exactly. Uh, there's there is another uh, tool 
that access consciousness has that is extremely effective and it's extremely easy and that is the notion that everything is simply an interesting point of view if i can get to the point where everything is simply an interesting point of view which takes about eight seconds if you really kind of look at it but Mm -hmm. everything is an interesting point of view where does the bellyache have to come from it won't come from me Right, because it's just a simple, interesting point of view that my teacher's not get, or the kid's teacher isn't getting this, or the school's not going to like it, or the well, it's an interesting point of view. But in fact, teacher, I would like you to help my kid out here. Mm-hmm. I can see interest. Life is tough for you. That's an interesting point of view. But I'd like you to help my kid. What else is possible? Yeah, and also the other one, the other access tool that really jumps out uh, right now for me is who does that all belong to? So the idea of, you know, 99% of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions are not yours. So when you're walking into the school with the bellyache, thinking that you're going to go talk to the principal, who who does that really belong to? Is it even yours? And also, like, how much of that is you dragging that around from years ago when you were going to this office? Ah, yeah, certainly. (laughs) So I'd like to go back to something we touched on earlier, and that is here sits this kid in class, Mm -hmm. and he says, I don't get it. Is that his? Yeah, is it even his? He's sitting in a building full of kids that aren't getting it. Exactly. And five of them that are. Right. Um, (laughs) And so he says, I'm not because it, it feels like he's not getting it, and nothing we do seems sure. to help. Well, it might be working on our own kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it is um, it is useful to think in terms of when you're listening to your child talk or you're listening to the teacher talk that you in your head, simply do interesting point of view from the teacher that she has that point of view about your child. But you may want to does this belong to my kid? If it right. does, does, we it... can take some action. If it doesn't, well, let's uh, send that off to somebody you'd like to have it. Yeah. Yeah. That that actually takes me... I'm going to read this question that came in from email because I feel like it's um, along the same lines. So... Um, she says, I have a nine-year-old with anxiety, um, especially in general, uh, in all aspects of life, especially around going to school. He asks a lot of what-if questions, but the what-if questions are, um, what if I have to go to the bathroom and the teacher won't let me? What if I vomit at school? What if I myself? What if, what if, what if? And it's all of the negative type of what-if questions. And so she's asking uh, why is he asking these what if questions? Why is he asking all these what if questions? Uh, the the immediate answer is he's scared to death. Um, but but uh, you know what was kind of coming through with that is how much how much of the fear and how much of that uncertainty. Uh, belongs to the child and how much is, uh, you know, this is probably a pretty sensitive kid. Um, Uh And he's probably picking up the anxiety of everybody in the country simply because he's leaning that way anyway. Um, 
You mean because he's already... Because he's already, he's been diagnosed or we've talked about him being anxious or he has some symptoms of anxiety and people do that. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, then pretty soon he'll, all he'll start seeing, it's kind of like if you've ever been pregnant, I've never actually had the problem, but if you've ever been pregnant, yes. have you noticed that everybody's pregnant? Yes, exactly. Totally. It's like, how come every time I turn around, everybody's pregnant? It just happens when I'm pregnant. Right. It's your, your, that heightened, heightened awareness. That's it. And how do I react to it? I react in my default reaction, which is um, anxiety. Okay. Uh, a conversation that I will sometimes have with I often don't acknowledge anxiety, by the way, when I'm talking to the child. I won't okay. want to say, well, what are you anxious about, blah, 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 because that is also a form of effort. Right. And is it also that now you're acknowledging it as real? Making it real. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. So we could arm the kid. And it, you know, it sounds like a fairy story when I say this, but it, it truly is not. It's enormously potent. All right, bud. So here's what I want you to do. Every time that you get that bellyache and that anxiety thing popping up, I want you to ask this question. What else is possible here? Mm -hmm. Instead of what if, every time you hit a what if, I'd like right. you to just shoot that down and what else is possible here? Yeah. It even yeah. calmed me down. Just <laughs> What's that? I even just, I feel so good. It yeah, is a really potent tool. Yes, so simple and so potent because it just takes you out of that wall. What else? Okay, so what else is possible? Right. Cool. I like that you said that you don't acknowledge the anxiety. Can you can you expand on that a little bit? And what if you continuously put attention on it? We started our school in Minnesota uh, at the request of the high school who had about 80 kids that were falling between the cracks. They didn't fit anywhere. Nobody wanted them. Some of them were had diagnoses like learning disabilities, some drug addicts, some kids on parole, just everything. Nobody wanted these guys. And the staff of the school was my brothers and sisters and their spouses at various times. And we all kind of had the same bent and the one thing that we all know walks into a classroom what the people around him see is not a kid they see their assumptions about the kid they literally right. don't see the kid so what we started right off right off the bat clearing away in our own heads it was a gift from my dad who said when i was first starting to my my counseling practice was Dean a counselor works on himself and the patients get well. Well, when yeah. I work on myself and eliminate all of that junk, it's sitting in front of me. And then I go to the authorities about what we could do with this guy to help him out. I ask the kid. The kid knows. Right. That's it. Yeah, the kid knows what's required and that's something that we don't acknowledge I think 
very much is that we are at a loss, so we go to the experts, we go to the principal, we go to the teachers, we go to the psychologists to fix this problem when we could actually sit down with the kid and go, hey, what do you know about this? Um, you know, what works? What works? How can we change it? And tap into what the kid knows. And as as the kids would have said, dig the poop out of your ears and listen. Right. Listen. And 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 do we, is it the judgments like how so how so you talked about um how we often don't see the kid we see the judgments and you touched on working on yourself and the 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 patient will change the, a counselor works himself and his patient gets well so if we apply that to parents you know what how can parents work on themselves so that the so in, in the case of anxiety for example what kinds of questions could the parent ask to look at herself. Here's a question for you, parent. What about your child's anxiety is making you anxious? What about your child's anxiety is making, is making you anxious? Yeah, wow. Well, doesn't it? Of course, absolutely. And I also wonder how how much of that anxiety also belongs to the other members of the household. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it ends up being it ends up being a culture. I, I, here's a little side spot for you. On the times that I've tutored people in their homes, which I don't do anymore because I, I was traveling a lot. Um, so I went into the into Bubba's home. That was actually his nickname, is Bubba, uh-huh. who had been diagnosed as dyslexia. And any time anyone ever corrected him, he'd drop on the floor in a fetal position and cry. He's in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. He was re- They were giving him second grade material. It was driving him crazy. He'd been diagnosed with dyslexia and um, Erlinson syndrome. Uh, excuse me. So I look around the room. You can see our books on dyslexia. Mm-hmm. How to handle a kid with dyslexia. The joy of dyslexia. The la 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 dyslexia. You guys are drowning in dyslexia. The elephant in this living room is dyslexia. No wonder the kid can't get over it. Right. It's blaring. Yeah, it's blaring. The it I'm talking about is not getting rid of the dyslexia. The it is learning how to read. He can read. Of a former student of mine who had dyslexia so badly he can't, couldn't spell his name. He ended up getting uh, a degree, um, an advanced degree in um, public health, and he works for a large city as a public health administrator. But he couldn't write his name. Oh, <laughs> well. So in Bubba's case, I'll tell you what happened with Bubba because I refused to look at all the books in the elephant living room, but I just looked at cool Bubba. And we would sit down and do the exercises. I worked with him for three and a half months. They had tested him at second grade uh, level. And uh, I, I guess about set, they did it in ages, age seven, maybe a little bit higher. After three and a half months, the school tested him and he was 14 plus. He was reading seventh grade material. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Because a dyslexic kid can't read, but a kid can. 
a dyslexic kid can't read, but a kid can. Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at the kid, is that what you're saying? Yep. Yeah. What if, if you just what if see a kid? What if I just see the kid and I will know what buttons to push and I'll know what to why? Because he'll, he'll send me the clear cues. And all I have to do is facilitate. Facilitate means to make easy. Nice. Yeah. Different than teaching, different than helping, facilitating. To make something easy, which which is very much like what you said in the beginning of the show, uncovering what is known, facilitating a kid to uncover what he already knows, making it easy for a kid to uncover what he already knows. I love that. That's cool. I love that. Thank you, Dean. So um, let's, yeah, sorry, go, go, go ahead. No, I just said, oh, well, you're welcome. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Okay, let's, um, let's take a break. You're listening to Messy Adventures in Living on atizen.fm. We're having a great conversation about um, how effort is BS and how ease is way cooler. (laughs) Um, So um, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dean Larson. Stay tuned. Do you wait until all the traffic lights are green before you get in your car? Of course you don't. Are you waiting until you have everything perfect to begin living? Most of us have learned not to take any steps until we have all the information to make the right choice. What if the opposite is true? What if it's choice that creates awareness? Are you willing to make lots of messy choices so you can begin to see the possibilities that you didn't even think existed? Listen for Messy Adventures in Living radio show with self-declared messy living expert Katrina Fava every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 Central, 7 Mountain, and 6 Pacific on A2Zen.fm. How much more expansive would your life be if you were willing to get messy with your choices? What would you say if I told you that you could change your life in only one hour and all while lying down relaxing? Thousands of people all over the world have. What am I talking about? It's called Access Consciousness The Bars. The Bars is an energetic body process that contains 32 different points on your head that when run assist you in releasing decisions about any area of your life that you have made solid and as a result cannot change. The Bars is the first class in Access Consciousness a dynamic set of tools and information designed to transform any area of your life. When you have a bar session, the worst that can happen is you feel like you had a fantastic massage. The best thing that can happen is your whole life could change. Go to accessconsciousness.com today to find a facilitator to schedule a private session or to find a bars class in your area. Are you willing to give yourself an hour to change your life? You're listening to Messy Adventures in Living with Petrina Fava. To participate in today's show, please call in the U.S. 815-880-8255, in Canada 613-800-8736, in the U.K. 33 one 625 
or you can Skype us at a2zen.fm. You can also ask questions or comment by email by sending to Petrina at PetrinaFava.com. Now, here's Petrina with more messy adventures. Hey, welcome back from break, everyone. We we're just having a great conversation with um, Dean Larson here on Messy Adventures and Living on A2Zen.fm. Um, our show today is about how effort is and uh, we're talking about ways to facilitate kids, and facilitate means to make easy. Um, uh, facilitate kids, we're talking a lot about school and labels, and I actually, Dean, just wanted to address something in the chat room that was said a while ago um, by a couple of different people about um, not being interested in certain subjects or like there were certain things that... Um, that uh, people just didn't want to learn. Can you talk a little bit about how that's different from like how um, when we project at kids that they're not, or when kids like when kids get the message that they're not good at something that they don't like, that then they end up not liking it, and the difference between like just there there's a subject that you're just not interested in. Can, can I just give you a, a quick example? Um, when I was in school, I was early. On, Early on, I was told I wasn't good at math or like I was, I, I actually don't have a really good cognitive awareness of exactly when I decided I was bad at math. Uh, but um, so I started to hate math because I wasn't getting good grades. And then there was a certain course that I actually did relatively well. I, I don't remember which math it was. And I realized that I actually was enjoying it. So I was like, huh, is it actually that I hate math or is it actually that I hate the effort or I, I I can't even put it into words. Like, did I actually truly not like math or was it that I hated it because I wasn't getting good grades and I was being told that I sucked at it? Can, can you look at that a little bit? Oh, yeah, for, like for about a week. <laughs> just, you know, just a little tiny thing there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's mush it. I'm talking about my friend Jamie. Okay. Uh, Jamie is the person that brought about the title for this whole thing. I was teaching him fractions. He was being he is being homeschooled, and I'm doing some of the classes for him. Part of the reason that he's being homeschooled is that he thinks a bit differently. He is not diagnosed as anything. Uh, he is wildly intelligent, uh, but he has actually not really learned a lot. If you tested him, you wouldn't get much. And Part of what goes on with that is if he would make a mistake on a paper, uh, he would assume it was a bad paper. And so just for a second, think about effort into something. You're, you're in this camp where they require that every day you put a bunch of effort into this thing. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, when you hand it in, it's never good enough. Well, you made the comment a while ago that adults know everything. Well, so do teachers. And a teacher mm-hmm. comes up and says, no, you can do better than that. Work a little harder. Well, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't say that. He works harder, and he still gets it bad. So immediately he starts looking at himself as damaged goods. What Once he hits that point, what's the likelihood that he's ever going to want to do it? I once gave a talk to a large body of people, hundreds. And in, uh, 
in the middle of the talk, I stopped and I said, I'd like everybody in this room who is dim, dumb in math, to raise your hand. Two-thirds of that room full of people yeah. raised their hand. Statistically, wow. that is simply impossible. Right. Incredible. Somebody lied to them. Okay. Yeah. Um, somebody lied to them. <laughs> somebody lied to them. So let's go back to the my friend Jamie. I don't know if, if anybody really knows this, but first grade boys don't develop at, as the, at the same rate as anybody. Their brains don't develop the same as anybody else on the planet, nor do girls. What a... Ah, crazy. So did you notice that when they get pushed into a kindergarten or first grade classroom, they all get fed the same food or they all get fed the same material and they're all expected to operate at the same rate? but Jamie's brain hadn't connected the math button yet. Nobody really picked up on that. They just knew that he was struggling. Really listened when he said, I don't get it. So the assumption in his head is that I have something intrinsically wrong with me that I can't do math. That's it. Yeah, so, I like that you said Jamie's brain hasn't connected to the math button yet. Different than I can't, I suck at math. Oh yeah, mm. brain de- brain development is behind all kinds of nastiness. I I wrote a I wrote a little ditty on a Facebook page the other day that hopelessness is by and large the most prevalent learning disability. It's also the most misunderstood and misdiagnosed learning disability of all because when a kid feels hopeless in math he's never going to get the kind of remedial stuff you throw at him his picture of himself that he's got to live is I don't get it so in order to make it so that kid can get it I'm going to have to wade into that hopelessness and and then he gets it that's what happened. In- That's. Excuse me. Go ahead. No, wait. When you said wait, wait into the hopelessness, like be with it. Is that what you mean? Like be present with that hopelessness and then destroy it. Is that what you mean? Uh, is to get rid of all my assumptions about what it means. Get rid of all okay. the judgments I have about the school for dumping on a kid's head, and right. all of that stuff. See the kid, oh. and I see that he has got this thing going on, and. And I'll just transfer it to Jamie. Jamie, you've never done a fraction in your life, have you? Never done a fraction. Come on, here's a uh, here is a measuring tape. Let's measure the side of the table and then add up the sides and see how far it is around. Well, it has fractions in right. it. So I take them into fractions, and I say, this is what fractions are like. And so when we're adding them, we, I'm jumping ahead. Uh, when we add them, I have to have a common denominator. So what do I have to do to two to turn it into four? Oh, you double it. Blah, blah, blah. Well, pretty soon I'm doing, what do I have to do to 19 to turn it into 57? And he's doing it. Yeah. That's it. So it's, so is it, so this reminds me a little bit of, of like, um, doing homework with kids and so, uh, asking questions around what is it that the kid needs to hear or how can I say this so that my child, w- you know, can see it his way. Like, are the, So what would you suggest to parents when they're um, 
um, doing homework with their kids, similar to what you do with that's similar to what you do with tutoring. Yeah. What would you suggest? Like, what questions can they ask besides dropping all all of the projections and all the labels that we've been talking about this this hour? My um, okay, let's see what I can do with that. Um, assuming that the parent that okay, I'm dumping all of my anger at the school, all of my anger at the teacher, all of the uh, preconceptions I have about math because I'm an idiot in math, all the Larson's are dumb in math, which was <laughs> one that I had to get rid of. And so mom's in allowance, neutral, doing just fine. And she says to the kid, you know, I'm not getting what the teacher's doing here. Can you help me? Uh, yes. I can help you with the math. I know what 2 and 17 is. But she's asking it in a way that I just have never seen. Would you tell me what she wants so we can do this? The kid was in class. He knows. Yes. I love that. That's that's which actually is interesting. I I think I've even I have actually truly honestly asked my kids that question because <laughs> I I don't like homework is very different when I look at it the way my kids are learning as it's different than how I had homework. And so I've actually truly said to them, can you please tell me what your teacher told you in class? Because I actually really don't know. Like, I require that information. So that's great. And I love how that really acknowledges that they already know. And it's like, again, let, we're uncovering what they already know. And they're helping yeah. us out because we weren't in class. <laughs> right? Homework avoidance is in part uh-huh. largely because he's being cast in a room alone. It's the it's the uh, Rumpelstiltskin story. You know, if you don't weave gold out of straw, I'm going to kill you. Oh, and yes. your family and your dog. Okay, so we throw him in a room with a book and say, do this. Right, or you're going to fail. Don't make me ashamed. Well, good Lord. <laughs> if right. he could do it, he'd have gone to the room and done it. Or he'd done it in school. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm just taking a peek in the chat room to see if there's any questions. Hmm. Okay. Looking, I'm going to just take a second. Go ahead. Yes, go. And if you would like to do a a bit of um, thinking about effort and resistance, go push your hand against a wall and know that as you push the wall, the wall pushes back at you exactly as hard as you are. If that were not the case, either you or the wall would move. So here's my question. If I remove my hand from the wall, is the wall still pushing? Nope. Right. So the only thing, the thing that creates the resistance is what Newton would have called an The trick then is to get out of the force business and to get into the listen and connect business. Wow. Can you actually repeat that? Because I think you cut out after you said what Newton... Newton Newton refers... uh, to force. And so when we're yeah. talking about effort, what we're really talking about, Sir Isaac Newton, 
Right. For whom the Fig Newtons are named, I'm sure. No, well, maybe <laughs> not. Um, but he would he would describe the in his laws of motion he would describe uh, things in terms of unless acted on by an outside force that be you or teacher or somebody. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. It's just the outside force, the pressure, the pressure, the pressure that then they invariably have to push back against. So if you remove the pressure, if you remove the, the force, if you remove the effort, do they have anything to push back against? And then now what's left is is it ease that's left. That is abso- that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So, in effect, uh, as a teacher of parents, I'm creating with a kid. You're creating, can you say that again? You're creating what? I'm creating my own difficulties with the kid in homework. Ah. I'm applying force so the right. kid has to resist. In the battle between the irresistible force and the immovable object, there is no winning unless you remove the irresistible force. So I wonder, like, if parents would be willing to let their kids finish their homework, um, you know, be willing to let their kids get get a grade that they're not happy with. You know, is that part of removing the force? And I wonder what would happen if you would just allow your kids to, quote, unquote, fail, which is not really failing. It, you know, I wonder how much more that would create. It's like, hey, sure, you don't want well, to finish your homework, no I, problem. I kind of, I don't do the no problem thing. But right. I, I, I do do, well, I tell you what, this isn't about whether you can, this is about whether you will. That's a different exactly. story. So go for it, bud. And nice. Yeah, awesome. We are running out of time. Can you, thank you so much for being here, Dean. I love this conversation. Lots of really great information, tool-packed show. Do you want to tell everybody about your website and how they can find you? Oh, they can find me on a website called BeParenting.com, which is uh, more about parenting than it is about teaching, but it's all kind of yeah. the same material. Exactly. Um, and uh, I have a Facebook page, Conscious Education. Thanks for playing with us. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Katrina Fava will return next Bye. Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Mountain, and 6 a.m. Pacific on A2Zen.fm. We'd love to have you join us again. Until then, have fun creating your phenomenal life, mess and all.